You're listening to The Main Course, where food is serious business. Listen along for insights, strategies, forecasts, and thought leadership from the front lines of food with your host, Barbara Castiglia. Welcome to The Main Course. I'm Barbara Castiglia of Modern Restaurant Management. Today, we're going to talk about noodles. And with me is John Ramsey, who's the Vice President for Franchise Sales for Noodles & Company. Welcome, John. First, explain what is the Noodles & Company concept? Sure. Thanks, Barbara. So Noodles & Company, it's a fast, casual restaurant concept, and we serve classic noodle and pasta dishes. Um, But what's unique about it is that they've been inspired by flavors from around the world. Um, So it's a broad menu, but everything has either a noodle or pasta base. So um, what are some of your more popular uh, menu items? And I know you just introduced um, zucchini noodles, which are really hot. Um, So how are these things doing and and what are some of the, the hot menu items right now? Sure. So what we see is that in in most areas of the country, uh, the mac and cheese, kind of the classic mac and cheese is still number one. Uh, Then some of the Italian inspired dishes like penne rosa or the pesto cavatappi are very popular. Um, And you mentioned the zoodles. One of the uh, unique things about our menu is that every item is customizable. So when the when you order your menu item, so for example, the penne rosa, which is one of our best sellings, uh, my wife is a huge zoodles fan. Um, and she orders that identical dish, but instead of penny pasta, she gets it with the zoodles. So anything can be substituted uh, with your, or you could uh, order a different type of noodle or a different type of pasta with any sauce. So it's very customizable. Did you notice, um, I know you've only been with the brand a short period of time, but um, was comfort food really, uh, you know, a popular menu item uh, throughout the pandemic? It is. And uh, in fact, we we started going, uh, we've been Noodles fans and we have one in our community for almost 20 years now. Um, And I think what we found as a guest, and now I see this on the inside from the business, is that first of all, noodles and pasta travels very well. So the, the, the product stays hot, it stays fresh. And so when you get it home, it still tastes as good as if you had it in the restaurant. So I think as we've all tried to figure out, uh, we still have a desire to eat um, food from restaurants, but certain things just don't travel well that we used to enjoy, like French fries, for example, right? They're just not the same. Um, So we've clearly benefited by having a menu line uh, that is really made for and adapts very well to an off-premise occasion. You have an extensive experience in the restaurant franchise environment. so just explain a little bit about your background um, and what was it about the brand that excited you enough to join late last year? Sure. appreciate that. So I've been in franchising coming up on 30 years um, and actually an architect by training. So I started in retail design and I got into restaurant design. And so my first exposure with franchising was really uh, franchise development, meaning really supporting franchisees and building out their restaurants. And One of the lessons I learned from that experience is that it's one thing to sign up a franchisee to sell them a deal, um, but it takes them, gosh, a good 12 months from the typically from the time they sign an agreement to the time they actually get the restaurant open. And there's a whole lot to be done, right? There's there's the development process. There's the training process, the hiring process, the actual creating their own business structure. So once I got into on the franchise sales side, I was very aware of, and and I'm always looking for, 
um, that, that skill set of franchisees. Um, so, so that's sort of how I got into the business and why I love it so much, because I love working with entrepreneurs and individuals uh, who are looking to create a business. Uh, with respect to noodles, uh, like I said, I've been a fan of the brand for a long time. Um, when I first came out to California about 20 years ago, I was working for a fast casual concept. And at that time, if you think back in the early 2000s, it was really the emergence of the fast casual segment. So brands like Panera Bread and Chipotle were really just starting. Um, and my first exposure to noodles was in Denver, going to visit a Chipotle before they started to expand. And that's where, that's where noodles started as well. And so I very quickly became a fan of the brand because I saw that they were doing things really in sort of the, what the fast casual segment has done is to, to create a higher quality food experience in a fast and convenient environment. Uh, so fast forward to last year, uh, when everything sort of came to a halt with, with COVID and looking at the franchise industry, um, clearly having a brand that's positioned to take advantage of off-premise dining, having food that travels well, uh, as well as the unit-level economics all being positive is really what led me to the brand. So you've kind of touched on, on my next question a little bit, but maybe you can elaborate. Um, what makes Noodles & Company franchisable? Yeah, great question, because I, I think that's right, that not every brand is. I think that in order to be franchisable, number one is you have to have a proven concept. Uh, we've been noodles is 25 years old. Um, and we've tried a lot of things. We've been successful with most of them, but we've had our failures as well. So you sort of learn from that experience. So we have a proven concept is number one. Number two is um, with a base of over 450 restaurants, we have a very solid an experienced management team and leadership team. And so having that, um, those capabilities in-house that you're not sort of trying to figure things out as you go along that are already established is very important. Um, and then the third, I think, is the guest experience is that because we're coast to coast, we've now realized that we're not a regional brand, we're not a fad, we're not a trend. Um, you know, we could go into a new market where people have never heard of the brand. They could walk into a noodles and immediately connect with the brand. You know, macaroni and cheese, um, you know, spaghetti and meatballs, or something like a pad thai. You know, people get it right away. Um, and so we're not trying to reinvent something or having to teach somebody a new market. So really, those are the key ingredients to being a, a strong franchise brand. So what are you looking for then in a franchisee partner? Yeah, I think uh, this is uh, obviously the, the key to what we do and, and sort of what I really focus on myself and sort of consider a strong skill set that, that not only do I have, but the Noodles team is very much in alignment with us. So um, I think it's easy when you look at franchising to say, well, you know, if somebody has the money, uh, they can become a franchisee or somebody's coming from a restaurant background, they could be a franchisee. We look at a more in-depth process. So, for example, if somebody's coming to us with restaurant experience, we believe there's a big difference in skill set. If, if somebody's been, for example, an area manager for a restaurant concept and managing multiple locations and, mul and a lot of people, that's a really great skill set to have as a franchisee. Where if somebody's just been working in a single location and never had that exposure experience to managing more than a small group of people, it's a little bit more of a challenge. So the experience becomes critical. Number two is financial. Um, it's not just about having cash in the bank, but it's having a relationship with the bank. It's about having a relationship with CPA. 
so it's being able to be in a position to both use your own money as well as have access to borrowing money uh, and not become an overleveraged. Uh, number three is development skills. Um, I sort of alluded to this earlier, you know, one of the first things as a franchisee that you have to do is to find a site, sign a lease, hire a contractor, pull the building permit and actually build a restaurant. Um, you know, that's not easy to do. And it's not something that although we support our franchisees, um, having somebody come in who's been through that process before, we believe is a really important uh, skill set to have. Uh, the fourth is business acumen, you know, and, and I think to me what business acumen means is that somebody who's already owned their own business and understands the difference between an independent business and a franchise business. Um, within a franchise business, you're following operating procedures, you're following process, you're following systems. At the same time, it's your own business. Um, so understanding the difference and being having run their own business before is also an important skill for somebody to have. And then the last, which I think is really the most important, is personal character. Um, you know, somebody who, do they share our value system? Are they connected within their community? Um, how are they looked at by their employees? And how are they looked at by their peers um, in the industry? Those things become really important and critical to evaluate and measure. Um, so that is our process, really look at those sort of five points of a franchisee. So how are you developing a franchise pipeline for noodles? Yes. So uh, as you might suspect that over the last um, several years, I mean, virtually everything's become digital based, meaning um, using social media and and using uh, not only our our own website, but the websites of industry leading publications and and industry uh, trade uh, avenues. So, uh, we reach out to the uh, franchise industry, one on a global basis, uh, well, I should say on a national basis, I don't, I don't mean global as an in international, but on a U.S. basis. Uh, at the same time, we become, especially now through social media, become very targeted geographically. So, for example, if one of our target markets is Atlanta, Georgia, we could um, tailor our marketing programs to not only geographically within the Atlanta, Georgia market, but we can also put filters on who is targeted and who those ads are sent to. So it's not just sent to everybody who lives there, but people that we believe fit the profile of who we're looking for. So where, what locations are you targeting for expansion? You know, you, you, you know, you, you said that you're, you know, a national brand at this point. So, but are there particular locations that you have your eyes on? There are. So we, um, we like to, if you, if you look at the noodles, we have 450 locations and we are coast to coast. However, if you look at our locations on the map, we affectionately refer to it as a rainbow. So we start in California. Uh, we go all the way, obviously up to Colorado where we're based. Uh, we're very strong in the upper Midwest, places like Chicago and Milwaukee, Green Bay, Detroit. And then we come down the East Coast into Baltimore, then the Carolinas, and, and a little bit into Florida. So it sort of creates this rainbow. So if you think of that, everything below the rainbow, and specifically think of the South and the Southeast, we don't have any restaurants in Georgia. We have no restaurants in Alabama, Mississippi, Arkansas, Louisiana, or Texas. Um so that is our focus for franchising, and I'm sure we could talk more about sort of why, but that's the area we're looking for. So why? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, so a couple of good reasons. No, number one is that, um, not surprisingly, the South and Southeast has seen a huge population growth over the last several years and continues to see that growth. Also, you might suspect that a lot of that growth is coming from these northern markets where we already have a presence. So a lot of, as we start to market ourselves in these areas like Atlanta or Dallas where we don't have restaurants, um, a lot of our response we're getting are from people who have moved to those areas from the upper Midwest. You know, so we'll get a call and so somebody says, oh, gee, I lived in Chicago for 20 years. I got tired of the weather, so I've now moved to Dallas or Houston. Um, you know, to be nicer weather. And we love your brand and we think it would do great in this market. Um, so that's sort of part of it. Um, I think the the other reason that we're targeting these areas um, is that they uh, certainly have proven themselves with like similar brands that are in the fast casual segment already. So it's sort of a proven entity that we know our brand is going to be successful in these markets. So when you're looking for an actual site, what do you look for? Yeah, so that's shifted a little bit through COVID. Um, so uh, because of the off-premise business, even before COVID, we were doing 60% of our business off-premise. So in addition, so one of the things we look for in a site is knowing that we have such a large off-premise business is having that visibility to traffic as well as accessibility so if you think of now, you know, our dining experience is really about, you know, can I get in and out of the parking lot easily? Is there a dedicated parking spot where I could then either you, you could bring the food out to me curbside or I could easily pick it up? So those attributes of a site become very important uh, at the site level. The trade areas that we target, again, I think a lot of this is driven by COVID, but even pre-COVID, I would say, is that we tend to put our restaurants in more suburban or residential parts of town as opposed to the central business district. So that's really been our model that has worked very well for us and is really exploded now post-COVID as well with people working from home. So you're also involved with ghost kitchens. So can you tell me a little bit about that and what your plans are? Sure. So, uh, you know, as we all know, the ghost kitchen has become sort of a favorite buzzword, especially post-COVID. There's sort of this belief um, that a delivery-only facility makes sense within your portfolio. Um, I think it's fair to say that we're in the testing phase. We've, we've signed two agreements, uh, one in Chicago in a very strong market for us where we have a lot of penetration, a lot of awareness. Uh, we'll be putting a ghost kitchen where it's close enough to existing restaurants that I think we'll be able to feed off some of that trade. Um, and so we're really going to measure that location in Chicago as, as a model of a ghost kitchen in a highly developed market. The second one we're doing is in San Jose, California, where we have less presence. And so I think that'll be more of a test to understand where we have less brain awareness and less presence. Are we able to generate enough business and interest um, through uh, through social media and, and digital means to, to be successful. So those were our first two. And um, yeah, check in. And I'll let you know how they're doing. Do you expect that they'll expand or is this just the, the test to see if you want to go further? It's just a test to see if we want to go further. Um, you know, it, it appears, well, it, it, the reality is, is that these ghost kitchens are exploding all across the country. 
Um, so the opportunity is huge. Um, you know, we get solicited all the time. We have opportunity all the time, uh, all of, in, in every market. Uh, but I, yeah, I think it's smart for us to do these first two and to really be able to evaluate and measure what's the right model for us as opposed to just sort of jump in and, and going everywhere. Are there menu changes involved with working in the, with the ghost kitchen format? The good news is there's not. Um, and in fact, really, I think that's one of the other benefits or, or of noodles that we learned is that, um, you know, many brands sort of had to pivot and make changes to their menu uh, post-COVID. We have not. Um, uh, we, we had a menu that was already, again, sort of lent itself well to an off-premise occasion. Uh, it's a very easy to understand menu, very customizable menu. So even within a smaller footprint of a ghost kitchen, we could still replicate and create all of our same menu items that we would in a full-size restaurant. So as you grow and add more locations and get involved more with ghost kitchens, how do you kind of handle the quality control? Well, so the the quality control for us does not change regardless of the facility, and that's really important. So uh, we do continue to innovate and do things in our kitchens themselves, but they're always focused on, uh, uh, you know, Im improving the quality of the product, improving the speed that we could deliver the product, uh, but we're never going to shortchange the quality of the uh the ingredients or the process itself. So if we can't execute it in our traditional restaurant, uh, we're not going to put it into a ghost kitchen or we're not going to try to change our process. So for example, we would not, you know, uh, say, oh, well, because we saute, for example, all of our pasta dishes are sauteed to order. We're not going to change that and say, well, we're just going to put it into a bag or a can and you just heat it up. Um, that obviously would destroy the quality. So we're not going there. So let's talk about pivoting. Um how did the brand kind of pivot during the pandemic and uh, what did you have to put in, uh, you know, put in place um, for the guests um, and what role did technology play? Yeah, great question. So first, we, we sort of internally joke that we don't use the word pivot a lot because we didn't have to. Um, I think we're, again, sort of in a, in a good position that you know, when you talk about the menu itself, we were already there. Uh, so for us, it was no, there was no change to the menu pre or post COVID. Technology did play a big role, though, and I, I mentioned earlier we were already sixty percent off premise. Now that's obviously closer to ninety percent. Um, so what we did do is we did, um, I would say, uh, realize that we needed to spend more time quickly spend time on technology. So we already had a native app. We already had online ordering. But knowing that this was now going to become the dominant channel by which our guest uses us, um, it was really more about what can we do to those existing platforms to make them more user-friendly, make them easier to use. So I'll give you an example, the, the mobile app that we already had in place. Um, one of the features we put in was curbside pickup. So now, once you order uh, and you pull up to the restaurant, uh, the, the app itself will notify you when your food's ready, and then it gives you a button, a very easy-to-see button that says, let us know when you're parked out front, and we'll bring the food out to you. So it's really more of those tweaks and, and modifications to the exi existing technology platform that we had just to make it easier to use and more user-friendly. So in what are the ways is technology integrated into the brand? 
It's significant. I, in, in fact, we are um, we're, we're basically a, a paper-free concept, and that extends really at the restaurant level all the way up to our support center level. Um, so we're very big believers in technology. We're large users of technology. So, for example, uh, within the restaurant itself, every restaurant has two iPads, and 100% of our training materials are digital-based on an iPad. Uh, so we no longer use, there, there is no paper operating manual, for example. Um, and so it's, it's, everything is uh, digital in that sense. Um, I talk about the online ordering process. So our, again, our menu and, and the customization of the menu uh, lends itself very well to an all digital platform. Um, and so the integration of the POS systems at, in the restaurant, the integration with online ordering, with mobile apps, everything fits together and works together. Uh, so there's no question that that is a huge component of our success and who we are. So how are you using the tech and data to personalize the guest experience and engage with the guests? Yeah, so that's been fun, actually. Um, and you, know, you see as people start to use um, the online ordering more frequently, um, is, is, you know, and I sort of alluded to this, we, we've looked for ways as to how to make it easier to use and make it sort of more step-by-step. Um, step. And so, for example, when, you, when I say our food is customizable, so when I go onto my mobile app and I'm ordering my dinner, um, I have a choice. I could either click on the button that says, yeah, here's one of our, our most um, uh, favorite meals, you know, a, a buffalo mac and cheese. And it'll ask me, would well, you want it just as it is or do you want to customize it? So I could hit, if I want, I could just hit as is um, and boom, it immediately takes me to payment piece. If it says I want to customize it, um, I could drive it myself. So I have to, I, as the guest, I have the option to get very detailed. If I want to change the noodle or the pasta, I could do that. If I want to change the sauce or add sauce, I could do that. If I want to add a protein, by the way, every one of our menu items, uh, you could add a protein or delete a protein. And you could even go, you know, if you're a vegetarian, you could go with the tofu uh, on any meal. Um, and so that's very easy to do. And, and very, we have found that our guests take to that very quickly and learn it very quickly. We're talking about tech, but the company has a, a people-oriented strategy. Um, so, how does a company invest in its staff, and you know, and kind of put that strategy forward? Yeah, very, very important for us is that you're right. We're, we're a value-based company, and we believe very much in our core values. And you know, I think what was when I joined the brand, what, what I saw as a uniqueness to Noodle's approach to values and the people orientation is that we place our restaurant level employees at the top of the chain, meaning that we really focus on the folks who work in the restaurants and that obviously with the, the, the management team, the assistant managers, um, our front of the house ambassadors and, and our, our cooks in the kitchen, um, they are the center of everything that we do. So. You know, I, I work at the support center office. However, I know and all my focus is on supporting the restaurants at the restaurant levels. So all of our values are built around supporting the restaurant employees. Um, and I think that's really a, a distinction for us that's really important. So we don't lose sight of who is the most important 
um, in the in our food chain, if if you will, it's it's the restaurant level employees, and if we take care of them, they're going to take care of our guests, uh, and they're going to take care of, of the economics of the business. So let's flip a little bit to talk about you and your your career. Um, you know, being you had so many years of experience um, in the franchise landscape. Um, why are you so bullish about it? What is it that has kept you in it for so long? Yeah, I think there's several things, but I think at the core of it is people, um, is that uh, something that franchisees bring to the table that you don't get in a corporate run locations is a connection to the community um, is number one. Number two is uh is working with entrepreneurs, working with franchisees who have a vision of building something that's going to provide jobs, provide opportunities, provide a legacy for them and their family is really inspiring. So that's what really drives me. It, it gives me the, um, you know, every day when I talk to a, a prospective franchisee, it's exciting, it's fun. You, know, you learn about them, you become very close with them, you become personal friends. Um, but you really learn that, you know, what it is that they're looking to achieve is not just about making money. It's just not about having a job, but they're investing their life and their livelihood into creating something that's going to outlast them. That's going to provide for, for a, a, um, a more group of people. And like I said, that connect, community connection is that that's one of the first things that always comes up with franchisees is their their relationship to their community. They live there. Their kids go to school there. Uh, so when they hire employees, these are their neighbors. These are their friends. Um, and that's very inspiring to me. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't think, you know, when they think of local restaurants, they don't consider a franchise to be a local restaurant. But the owner and operator could very well be your next door neighbor. So they very are very local. So, you know, I always tell it's, it's always for me to tell the franchisees to, to be involved in the local level because those are the people who are going to be coming in every day. That's right. So if someone sees your career um, and kind of, uh, you know, sees the example and says, hey, yeah, that's something I'd like to do, um, what kind of advice would you give to them, um, you know, in particularly about restaurant franchising? So, you know, one of the, I think one of the uh, unique things about restaurant franchising is that there's very few people that actually go to school and say, yeah, that's what I want to do, right? Most of us that are restaurant franchising have come, like me, I was an architect by training. Um, you know, I, I have friends and peers that started in marketing, or maybe they started in operations. Um, so I would say first is to, you know, um, don't think that you have to have a certain background to be successful in restaurant franchising, because I really don't think you do. Um, I think it is a field that is uh, allows for people from many different backgrounds to be successful. Um, I think the, to me, the one of the other really keys to restaurant franchising as a career is understanding um, the core business. And by that, what I mean is that the core business is that you make your money at the restaurant level. As I talked about our value system being focused on the restaurants, it's the same thing in franchising, the restaurant franchising. Uh, it's not about selling deals. You don't make money by getting a, a franchise fee or collecting royalties. The money's made in the restaurant. Um, and our role is to support those restaurants and that franchisee is just part of that chain. So I think as long as you have the right mindset and understand that, uh, you can be successful in this field. 
So what's your outlook for Noodles and Company in 2021 and beyond and the restaurant industry in general? Yeah, so with with Noodles are first of all we're we're, we're in a, a very envious position I believe because uh we've we've come through uh this pandemic in, in a very strong position um which is why we're growing both on the company side and the franchise side. So in 2021 um, you know, we'll continue to see our company markets grow more locations, which is positive for us because it gives us sort of a proof of concept, if you will. It allows us, we talked about ghost kitchens. Well, in addition to ghost kitchens on the company side, we're also doing some smaller footprint locations that might be off-premise only. So they'd have no interior dining room, for example, so a smaller footprint model. So it'll allow us in 2021 to experiment uh, and really innovate our facilities, um, our efficiency, kitchen efficiencies, things like that, which will obviously translate into the franchise world. Um, at the same time, we're not being forced that we have to have so many franchise deals in 2021 to be successful because we're already successful. Um, so it gives us some time to really uh, evaluate and select the right partners for our business. Um, we already have a group of existing franchise partners that have been with us in many cases for up to 15 years. Um, they're very supportive of our growth plans. They're very engaged in our business. We have a great relationship already established with our existing franchisees. Um, so again, it puts us in a very envious position that we could use that company growth to innovate. We use our existing franchise community um, to talk with the prospective franchisee and share their experience. Um, and by having these markets where we don't have any restaurants, it would, it allows new prospective franchisees the ability to come in and build out an entire market and control multiple locations, which is a very appealing, I think, to the right franchisee. And what are your thoughts about the restaurant industry, you know, in general moving forward? Yeah, I, I, first of all, I'm very bullish on the restaurant industry. I mean, I, I spent most of my career in it and, um, and I've worked uh, everything from QSR fast food hamburgers with Jack in the Box all the way up to um, large casual dining footprint with TGI Fridays. Uh, there's no question that COVID has created a challenge um, uh, within the restaurant space. Uh, you know, fine dining being hurt the worst. Um, and me, like many, like uh, many other people, you know, I can't wait for the fine dining to come back because that's such a such a fun experience to go out, you know, with friends and family to a fine dining and have that fine dining experience. So I, I do believe that'll come back. I know it's going to be hurt and there'll be less available, uh, but I believe that'll come back. I think the other segments, and now you talk about franchising, and this is one of the things I've noticed um, over the last few months, is that for those franchisees that are heavily invested in family dining or casual dining, when I say family dining, I mean like the IHOP and Denny's, in casual dining, like an Applebee's or TGI Fridays, um, they're struggling. You know, they're, they're really focused now on uh, supporting their current business, uh, supporting their current employees. And so they're, most of them are not looking to grow right now. Um, I think that'll change, but I think we're going to have to be patient and allow them to sort of catch up uh, and, and restore their base business. On the other end of the equation, you have fast food. Uh, you know, when you talk about sort of drive-through hamburger, you know, a jack-in-the-box or Burger King or Wendy's or uh, pizza delivery, a Domino's or Marcus Pizza, they're booming. 
they're making more money than they ever have. Um, and in, for those groups, I think many of them are looking to acquire more of the same. So I think you'll see a lot of consolidation uh, within those segments. You know, the larger franchisees becoming larger and sort of taking out the smaller ones. Um, but I think it'll be, uh, uh, so I'm, I'm very bullish on all those segments, but I think the, um, the, the, the real challenge is going to be allowing the dine-in business to come back and, and what that's going to look like. That um, when I was in the restaurant training, um, you know, really pre-COVID, uh, catering was a big topic of discussion. Well, catering business has really fallen out. Number one is because we're not all together anymore, uh, but also because we don't want to eat from one cut of dish. Um, and so I'd be in the restaurant and it'd be like, I don't know, 1.30 in the afternoon, kind of slow. And all of a sudden an order would come in for 15 meals. And it might be from a hospital or a doctor's office. Um, and they love noodles because yes, it would allow a group of 15 to all order from one place, but everybody got their own meal. Um, and that's sort of really fun to see that there's still sort of this, uh, at least somewhat of a collective eating experience still still out there. Perfect. Thank you so much. This was great.